Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. Well, we're going to jump into this morning's uh, reflection. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do my best to, to keep it a little, a little bit shorter this morning, um, and because uh, we've had a big morning, and that's, and that's good. I'm... Uh, I love mornings like this one, actually. Lots of life. I don't know if you guys felt it. Did you guys feel the uh, the presence of God this morning? Like I genuinely, as we were worshiping, I just, there was something just rising up. A connection to the movement of, of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and I think, I think that that is so central to what we, uh, are invited into this morning. Um, so if we hear nothing else this morning, let's hear that, that we are invited along. We are not along for the ride. We are invited into the journey. We are invited into the story of God, um, not as spectators, but right in the center of it all. So, as we've talked about in years past, Palm Sunday is uh, it's a headline kind of a day in the story of the scriptures. Um, if there was a, a CNN and a Fox News and a whatever that was paying attention to these things, there might have been a story run somewhere about the happening in Jerusalem as this prophet person they didn't quite know what to make of him but he's approaching jerusalem and there is hoopla there's buzz um, it's starting to infiltrate some of the higher powers and authorities of the day they're becoming very aware of jesus largely aware of him as a threat and he shows up at the gates of jerusalem and there is a procession, there's a crowd. They are shouting out things that the religious leaders find very disturbing and inappropriate. They're almost treating Jesus like God. They're certainly treating him like a king, like a king of Israel, which is a powerful threat to most of the people who had control, most of the politicians and the religious leaders this was not the most convenient man, time and place and setting coming into the Passover season, which of course is a, a very significant time in the life of a Jewish people of, of, the, of, the, of the nation of that day. And they shout out Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest and they're waving palm, well, they're waving branches. Palm branches is what we assume. I don't really know that for sure. Jesus is really complicated in his emotional, you know, he's, he doesn't say, go get me a, a horse. You, you know, these, these, are, these are people who are being controlled, militarily controlled by a foreign power, and they don't want to be, they don't want to pay taxes. They are... You know, a lot of people do not want 
the Roman rulers that they have. And so they're actually hoping for a bit of an uprising, a bit of a rebellion, let's say. And Jesus, instead of getting the war horse that maybe they would want for their king, he knows his Bible really well. He knows his calling really well. And he calls for, for a donkey, which is more of a symbol of peace than a symbol of dominance. Well, he comes riding in on a donkey. And there's just a, there's a, there's a lot of disorientation at the surface of it. There's a party and certainly if the news agencies wanted to spin it that way, they could have gotten just the right angle to represent a, a crowd of people. But of course, Jesus, his heart is actually kind of breaking in the middle of it. Jesus is somber, he's tearful, he, he's looking out over this, over this city that it means so much to him that his own, remember we've been talking about the, the appearances of the angel of the, of the Lord, which, which I believe is in a lot of ways a, an expression of the, of, of the word of God, an expression of the person of, of Christ before we meet him in Jesus. And that's a complicated idea, but it's familiar, deeply familiar with this land. This is the same area where, where Abraham offers up Isaac. This is the same area where David lays claim to the land to offer, to offer give an offering. This is the same place where the temple is built. This is the land that, is, that Jesus loves, the people that Jesus has identified, that the God has identified to carry his rescue mission to the world, to, to set right the world. And he looks at it and his heart is breaking even as they are crying out his name and proclaiming him as, as their political king, king of Israel. And so it's, so it's complicated. And as I've been reflecting on the story, I interest, an interesting thing has surfaced for me, something that I haven't paid much attention to in the past, if I'm honest. So I'm just going to kind of read from a smattering of passages. <clears throat> um, as the uh, religious leaders are seeing seeing all of this taking place, and they're getting they're getting concerned. And at one point, they say to themselves, "This is uh, from John, just one verse from John 12, uh, verse 19. Look, the world has run after him." The world has run off after him, right? They're just seeing the sweep and the momentum of, of, of people coming alongside and, and throwing in their lot with Jesus, and, and they're getting concerned. And yet, of course, it's not very much later that, you know, that, that the tide has turned and that many of the people who were in that crowd, I'm convinced, in not short order, not in no time at all, are crying out for his crucifixion. I don't think that's a a great stretch. That there are people who are are in in the current of of the latest thing. And uh, you know, it's interesting to me as I was reflecting on that. You know, it's interesting how quickly our hearts can turn from a moment that seems like a real revelation and a profound insight and something that we're just right there and committed to. And then in the next minute, it can seem like absolute and utter foolishness. 
we can feel absolutely foolish. How many of you have, have had moments like that? This is something that occurs to me, happens in my life quite regularly. Well, where I will say something or do something that seems really good in the moment. And as soon as I've said it, or as soon as I've done it, or even worse, in the middle of the night following, or possibly in the morning, I'll wake up and I'll think, oh my gosh, in what world was that a good idea? How could I have been such a, how could I have been so dumb? How could I have not seen, you know, what, what was I, you got, you, you ever, you know, your self-talk, has it ever sounded like that? What was I thinking? Right? I'm seeing so many nodding heads. I'm seeing like a hundred percent buy-in around this. You know, this is something that we know well. Where was your head? Now I've been thinking about the difference between getting swept up in a moment or, or perhaps even losing a moment losing the thread for a moment where I, I disorienting, I can't see, I don't know what's up and down. The difference between that and this idea of being, of being rooted, deeply rooted, you know that what is rooted doesn't get easily swept away, right? This is, this is part of how we understand um, what, it, what it looks like to, to, to try to preserve streams and such. If we plant trees that have roots, it, it, it keeps erosion from happening, right? It's rootedness is very, very important. And rootedness, I've never seen how important and significant rootedness and connectedness from a horticultural perspective, <laughs> from, from the, the life of plants, how significant the life of plants becomes to Jesus in this final week. It's, it's actually kind of crazy. He just gets a little bit consumed with this idea of plants and rootedness and connectedness, being connected. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the difference between being swept away or swept up and being being rooted having roots and then i and then i started to think about one of my favorite psalms right where psalm one starts the book of psalms starts off really well and it talks about this tree that's planted by streams of of flowing water these leaves they don't wither and the tree bears its fruit in season you know i was writing about this just kind of reflecting on in my own life and, I, and I, my, I wrote down here let my praises may my praises not wither in a dry season may my praises be rooted not just in the proximity of obvious water but may my praises be rooted into something that is always connected to to streams of flowing water whether they're visible or underground and i think about that because i know what it's like to be swept up in a religious experience I know what it's like to, in the moment, give everything with my heart and feel like it's my totality. And then the next day to wake up and to feel like I don't know what I've done or I feel foolish or, or I just feel distant. And then as I was carrying this idea forward, just reflecting on this scene, I started to think about, about the fig tree the mysterious and strange incident of the fig tree, Jesus and the fig tree. It reads like a mystery novel, doesn't it, Nikki? That's a good title. 
mysterious death of the fig tree. Jesus is hungry and he comes up to a fig tree looking for fruit and it's full of leaf. And he says, but it's got no fruit. And Jesus gets ornery. He's not in a great mood or something. That's what I always thought. And he says, you, you're never going to feed anybody again. Stupid tree. Kids don't say that, but you know, tree. And then of course you come back the next day. Do you guys know the story? Come back the next day. And what's happened to the fig tree? It's withered, right? Your Bible probably says something like Jesus curses a fig tree. I've never understood that. I don't pretend to fully understand that. But as I was reflecting on this rootedness and and I started thinking about the, the fig or the Psalm one and the fig tree, I thought, you know, what's the deal with fig trees? And so I thought, well, I wonder how I wonder how long a fig tree is supposed to live. Um, and so I, I did a bit of research and I and I found out. Thank you, Google. Uh, fig trees could live up to 200 years. Did you know that? Fig trees are pretty old. Um, so just for a point of reference, because 200 years when we're talking about the Bible doesn't seem like, you know, that long a time, right? I mean, we think trees are trees that are thousands of years old, right? How impressive is a couple hundred years? Well, but Canada hasn't been a nation for 200 years, right? So there are, there, you know, fig trees don't grow in this area, but if they could, there could be fig trees or there are fig trees on the earth that have been around for longer than Canada has as a political entity that we, that's a nation state. So it counts, it's significant. In fact, 200 years represents about eight or nine generations. So think about that for a second. We're talking about a lot of history that take place. And Jesus, Jesus calls out this fig tree in a day the other thing that's interesting is that fig trees, they, they bear fruit for a long time out of the season. 120 to 150 days of fruitfulness per season. And some, some kinds of fig trees have two growing seasons, not just one. Some just have one, some have two. And so a, a fig tree with two growing seasons Let's, let's be generous and say 150 days of growing. It's 300 days a year of availability of fruit. And so Jesus is really striking out. He's being unlucky in this moment. You know, what are the chances? What are the odds that he comes in? You know, because the scriptures are pretty clear that the fig tree, Jesus, part of the funny story here is Jesus seems upset that the fig tree is not bearing fruit. But the writer, um, what gospel is it? And I have it written down here, but. Anyway, the gospel writer is quite clear that it's not, it's, it's, it's out of season. So imagine it's February and you go up to a maple tree and you, and you kick it because it's not giving, it doesn't have a leaf, right? It's a strange thing to do. And the question that I had as I was contemplating these things is like, I often like to ask myself, Jesus, what did you have in mind when you said such and so? What was behind the scenes? Because all we really see in a lot of ways, we don't always 
see the inner workings of the mind of Jesus. And my question, I, I wondered if Jesus had anything in his mind about Psalm 1 when he said that, that word to the fig tree, when he said, you know, what we, what we call a curse, you're not going to bear fruit anymore. Um, I wonder if there's some element that he just knew that he knew that the praises that were echoing in his ears, the powers, the, the thrush of the people who were coming behind and saying, King, King, say, you know, if he saw that the, the faith of the people almost as represented in the fig tree and called it to, to nothing. And, and listen, here's something that we don't often think about. I, I don't anyway. For pretty much all of the disciples, an argument can be made that Holy Week is the week that their faith all died, that they lost their faith, that there's a dryness, there's a, there's a, a fire that's coming that consumes their capacity to believe. This is the condition of, of the hearts, apart from a few people who, um, who, who, who go to, you know, we're going to talk about this on Sunday. I don't want to get ahead of the plot here, but we, I mean, we do know the story. But no one expects to find Jesus alive. No one expects, like everyone's hope has died. Everyone's hope dies in this, in this week. And I wonder if some of that is, is, is kind of bearing itself out in, in, in the fruit tree and bearing itself out in the sense of like, is there a root issue that's going on there? Is there, is there a, you know, this fig tree that, that cannot bear fruit any longer? I don't want to be like that. I want to be, I want to be rooted and connected in Christ. You know, it also gets me thinking about, and I'm scattering a lot of places, but it's just kind of the way my brain was working as I was teasing this out. I started thinking about the parable of the sower as I was thinking about rootedness. Right? I was thinking about the parable of the sower, and maybe was the fig tree planted by, it seems like it was planted by a thoroughfare. I don't know. You know, but the sower scatters seed indiscriminately, indiscriminately, right? That's the story of the sower. Jesus talks about the sower. And of course, the, the sower scatters seed all over the place, like a crazy person, right? Who doesn't care about seed. I was actually thinking about this, and this is a total aside, but it's something I want to come back to someday. It occurred to me, you know, Jesus talks about the sower. We think of a farmer. We think of the father in this thing. But all of a sudden, I realized, you know who scatters seed the way that Jesus describes? No, no farmer that I've ever met, but the wind sure does, doesn't it? The wind blows seed around without indiscriminately. It doesn't matter where the seed lands. The wind comes and seed goes wherever it will, it goes everywhere that it can. So I'm just going to throw that out there as a beautiful thought to me that the Holy Spirit blows seed. I think maybe that's actually what Jesus is talking about there. But the point this morning is that the only place where seed takes root, no matter how good the seed is, is a, is a place where roots can be taken. That's the only place where there's a crop. That's the only place where there's a harvest, where there's a yield, is a place where rootedness can take place, where rootedness can be, right?
places where roots can sufficiently develop to sustain and flourish. I don't, I don't care for the stuff that pops up in an instant. I don't anymore. I just, the rootedness that sustains, that connects, that goes deep and finds the nourishment of the spirit, the nourishment of God to sustain our praises over a lifetime, to sustain our faith over a lifetime. Jesus, again, within the same time frame, this is still Holy Week, this is John 12. Jesus says, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, right? This is also Jesus, I mean, he's just consumed with this idea, this idea of rootedness, this idea of produce, this idea of growing, of cultivating, of nurturing life. Right. And of course, he's speaking about his death. He's speaking about what he's about to do. But it is unto a sense of rootedness and connection and tethering in life and flourishing, not something that gets blown away. As the praises of many of the people who shout Hosanna on Palm Sunday, their praises are blown away with the wind. To land on rocky places, to land on the roadways, to land in the thorns. Jesus is talking about rootedness, about fruitfulness, about harvest and multiplication. And he just doesn't quit. He doesn't stop talking about this stuff. In John 15, he says, I'm the vine. So starting in verse 5, I'm the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can't accomplish a thing. And anyone who does not remain in me, he's, he's thrown out like a, like a branch and dries up. And such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned up. And whatever else might be carried in that, it's the sense of connectedness, of connection, of a branch that's rooted to the vine means that it's what? It's connected to the root system. It's not alone. It can bear, it can bear fruit. A sustained life connection to the spirit of God seems to be filling Jesus' imagination throughout Holy Week. He just keeps on coming back to it. He keeps on coming back to it, right? And and even, and this is a, this might feel like a stretch, but it, it, it's I don't think it's irrelevant. You know, even in this moment of of temple upheaval, where Jesus shows up and he starts flipping over t- uh, t- tables, right? He has a tantrum and he comes in and he starts flipping over tables, right? And he talks about you know you've made this into a den of thieves and robbers and people who are just here to make a buck. Well, this is my father's house. This is a place of prayer. Right? And what he's not talking about is religious practice. He's talking about encounter and tethering and being connected to the life flow of Jesus. Right? He's, he's looking at a place, a location that he has seen for generations, a place where he encountered Abraham and Isaac, a place where he saw David say, I will not give something that costs me nothing. No, I will buy this field, a place that was set aside to be for the building of the, of the temple itself, which of course Jesus is inhabiting a rebuilt 
version of that, but it's the same area, it's the same plot of land. And he says, you've missed the point. This is about connection. You've missed the point. This is about being rootedness in, in, in God, in the life flow of God. And so the temple itself becomes a dead branch, doesn't it? And incidentally, and again, I don't want to make a, a huge thing about this, but when the temple finally gets knocked down, fi fire is very much a part of that. In fact, when I was reading about that, it seems like it wasn't the Roman intention to knock down the temple. They probably wanted to repurpose it for the worship of another god. That's kind of how you dominate and crush a people, is by subverting their most holy places. And you know that's that's a, that, but it seems like somebody got a little carried away and torched the place, and it gets burned up like a stick, disconnected, right? So I guess this morning, as we have our our. Hosanna morning, or Palm Sunday, gathering around Jesus, recognizing our own ability to get swept up in a, in a moment, or to swept away by a moment, that can happen too. Question is, I think, pretty simple. What does rootedness look like in your life? Um, I don't want to see the problem with the parable of the sower because it's not quite the right language, but one of the ways that we can misinterpret the parable of the sower that Jesus tells is that it can seem fatalistic. And what I mean by that is we can hear that and go, well, I'm just, I'm just a road. Oh, there's so many thorns around me. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not thorn place, you know, or I, I, you know, I stuff happens to me all the time and I, and I buy in for a second and then I'm gone. I'm gone as soon as, as soon as the wind comes along, right? We can sort of self-identify and, 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 and feel like, you know, there's a fatalism to this. There is, listen, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the Lord gives us capacity and agency to cultivate and to create soil, good soil, and to decide to invite rootedness and to practice rootedness. I 100% believe that. And so my question for us today is, what are the practices in your life that you would describe as being rooting practices that are rooting you not simply to like the right thing to believe or rooting you to even the right way to behave or rooting you to whatever it looks like to be the most successful version of yourself, however you define that. I'm not, the stuff that roots you into the presence and the life of God, what does that look like? What does the practice look like? What might it look like if you were to practice it? Because the amazing thing is that there's every ounce of grace that is woven. Every ounce of grace that is woven into the death of the faith of the disciples. So we get to start over again. I'm seeing a comment here. When storms come, our roots get exposed. Absolutely. And that's been true of my life. That's been true in the last year. I've seen the exposing of the roots. 
and lack of them. And in some cases, um, even seeing, seeing roots that were life-giving to me um, get kind of dried out a little bit, right? I have to re, where am I get where am I getting my nourishment, my sustenance from the Lord, you know? What does it look like? What is it? What does it mean to cultivate, to shape? Jesus seemed to think that it had something to do with prayer, right? And, and, and not simply, I'm going to pray more. You know, but the passage, the scriptures talk about praying without ceasing. And that's intimidating, isn't it? That's an intimidating call for a lot of people to think about. But I think that the invitation, one of the invitations at least that exists in that idea is that we create moments of, of being open to the presence of God in the midst of all of the circumstances, whether the storms or whether in a rainstorm or whether in a windstorm or whether on a beautiful sunny day. You know, when our internal talk, when our head talk, the, the voices that just kind of go on inside of us and wake, you know, the thing we were talking about earlier, what was I thinking? That voice? When we redirect that voice into a prayerful voice and invite Jesus into that and say, Lord, I feel like an idiot for what I said yesterday or what I did yesterday. What do you have to say about that, Jesus? Just creating moments of invitation and opportunity for the Lord to speak and to listen. I had a thing this week, you know, I, I spend time with the Lord pretty regularly, most days, I do. But I realized that I was so aware of me petitioning the Lord for very specific things and specific kinds of wisdom and vision and purpose that I had stopped just listening for what he wanted to say to me. I wasn't really taking sufficient time just to say, Lord, what do you want to say? And so I started to do that and I started to write and picked up my guitar a little bit and was, and what's so funny is that as soon as I started to create space for that, I heard him start to talk about, it's embarrassing, but how much he loved me and how faithful he was. And it's just, it was just kindness. It was pure kindness and life-giving. It was nourishing. It was so good. Yeah, Nikki, good comment. We're all beloved idiots. So glad that the sower is still sowing. Not one, not, not a one-time thing. Absolutely. And back to the thread, and we're going to close here because I lost the thread for a moment. Holy week is the week that Jesus died, was sacrificed, spent three days in the ground, and was resurrected to new life, to eternal life. We know the promise, I hope, right? We don't often think about the fact that Holy Week is the week that the disciples' faith died too. We talk about moments of betrayal. You know, we, Peter, of course, Judas, you know, Judas is the, is the most tragic part of the story. You know, we've got Thomas, doubting Thomas. You know, Mary, who looks Jesus in the face apparently and doesn't quite recognize him. I mean, but this week, 
decimates the faith of the disciples. And so if this morning we hear this and we think, I don't feel rooted, I don't feel connected, I feel blown away with the wind, I feel like I'm drifting, then let's, just, let's step into the fullness of this week because Jesus is going to appear to us. Jesus, the, res the resurrected Christ, I believe is going to appear to us. The Holy Spirit is going to be present, is going to show up, he's going to move in us, he is moving in us. In the rootedness that we desire, as Nikki has eloquently communicated in the comment, the rootedness that we desire is not beyond Christ. And I love this. At the end of the day, Jesus said, actually, it's not even your roots. I'm your root. I'm your vine. You're my branch. Be connected. So that's how we're going to close this morning. It's an invitation to connect to the life of God. And if you are feeling like you do not know what to do with this message, you do not know how to connect with the life of God, while I don't pretend to have all of the answers and I certainly don't have the strategy or the methodology that's going to crack the code, that is one thing. That's a conversation I would love to have with you. And so we can find some time, half an hour, an hour, book some time over the, whether this week or the next month or whatever. But if you if you feel like you're just you're you're alone and you do not know how to practice any of this or you're struggling, I would love to take some time and talk about that together and explore what that might look like for you. And I believe that God will show you too first. Yeah, I get Carol Liz are comments are great. Carolyn says, Jesus is our taproot. Let me see if that will come up. I want to put that one on screen. I forgot to do that. There we go. Jesus is our taproot. I love that. That's great. Absolutely. That taproot is the one that goes deep, right? It's the one that goes straight down. I don't know. I'm, I'm Carolyn's a gardener. Livia will tell you I am no gardener. I'm nobody's gardener. But anyway, I want to pray. We'll close out the call, close out the, the feed this morning. Lord, this is, this is the week that we say is Holy Week. This is the week, God, that, uh, that everything falls apart in, in every discernible and meaningful way in the life of the people who followed you for three years. And, and, and then, God, into the, into the unthinkable and then into the wildly unanticipated life eternal life. And God, we ask, we invite you into our journey this week. And not this week, not just this week, but God, into our life story. That we would be tethered to your root, your deep, deep root, the root of your promises, the root of your life flowing in and through us, of your fruitfulness. And so God, we ask that you would come into our imaginations, even as maybe some of us feel faith actually dying in our bodies, dying in our hearts. Lord, would you come? Would you come? This is not uncharted territory for you. And so we come this morning as disciples. We come this morning as people, sojourners, followers, gather around you, we sing Hosanna, 
And God, we just want to declare that we want to stay close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so with that, everyone, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll close out the, the, uh, the, the live stream. Just a reminder that uh, Good Friday, 10 a.m., Stations of the Cross. Um, I, I think it'll be a powerful time. Please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know if you can be part of that by reading or whatever. And uh, take care.